Welcome to Broadway World, Some Like It Pop Podcast. I am Matt Tamanini, Broadway World Senior TV and Film Critic. And as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief and resident body art expert, Jennifer McHugh. Jen, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, it's been a while. We're recording this uh, on the 15th of January, so we're a little late to the game. But Jen was out gallivanting across the eastern seaboard, so we... uh, uh, had to work around that, but uh, I'm glad to, to be doing this. This is exciting. Um, we'll get into what we're going to be talking about here, but you can follow Jen on Twitter at Eponine Q. That's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And you can follow me at Twitter at Matt. That's B-W-W-M-A-T-T. You can read us both across various Broadway World sites, and you can also follow Some Like a Pop on Twitter at S-L-I-P Podcast. Jen, maybe we can make our individual New Year's resolutions to include tweeting from there more often. Yeah, we probably should be better at that. Yeah, um, have, I'm going to have to, again... I have to, again, ask you for the password because I don't remember it. <laughs> I don't either. I'm going to probably have to reset it anyway. Okay. Not only can you find all episodes of Something Like a Pop on BroadwayWorld.com, but you can also get new episodes downloaded automatically via iTunes, Stitcher, and or Google Play. Also, if you don't hate us, rate and review the show. So Jen and I have something tangible to curl up with on those cold California and Florida winter nights. On this episode, despite being a couple weeks into the new year, we're going to talk about our favorite movies and TV shows of 2016. But first, Jen, you have a new addition to your personal art collection, don't you? I do indeed. It's um, it's something from, uh, um, I don't know, a little known show or play. I, I, I didn't, I couldn't really place it. Yeah, it's an indie musical. It's like hoping to uh, gain <laughs> some traction this year. Yeah. What, what do you want to share what that is? I got a Hamilton tattoo. You yeah. all knew it was coming. Yeah. It's what's, here. what's the, what's the quote? I am inimitable. I am an original. Right. So it's not only a Hamilton quote, so it's peak hipster, but also you got one that's rather arrogant and with no humility at all. Yes. I figured if anyone, you would appreciate that. (laughs) All right. Fair (laughs) enough. All right, Jen, what we're going to do today, as I said, we're going to talk about our favorite TV shows and movies of 2016. Um, But one thing I do want to stress before we get into our list that these are our favorites. Not necessarily what we think is the best. We kind of do the bests when we talk about the awards, the Emmys, and the Oscars, but these are just our personal favorites from the previous calendar year. How we're going to do this is we're going to count down our 16 favorites in each category, and then we'll throw in a few honorable mentions that aren't necessarily the next on our list, but are just things that we enjoy for one reason or another and feel that they deserve mentioning. Now, Jen, I figured we'd start with TV. Since we do that more, there'll be less surprise and disagreement there. You're on board with that, right? Absolutely. Okay. Before I get started, I did want to, it does bear mentioning that two TV shows that are often at or around the tops of our individual lists did not air an episode in 2016, so you will not hear their names. Those being The Leftovers and Fargo. The third and final season of The Leftovers will air on HBO in April, and season three of Fargo is slated to premiere on FX sometime this spring. So Jen, you didn't, you didn't include those on your list anywhere, did you? I did originally, but then double-checked and, and removed them. <laughs> okay, good. I'm just I'm glad we're on the same page there. All right, so like we do with our list of Paloozas, we're going to go through 16 through 11, go back and forth, then we'll go 10 through 6 back and forth, and then we'll count down our 5 through 1s back and forth. Um, so, Jen, I'll go ahead and do 16 through 11. My number 16 show of 2016 is Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt from Netflix. Number 15 is The Night Of on HBO. Number 14 is The Flash from The CW. Number 13 is Superstore from Jen's favorite network, NBC. Number 12 is another Netflix original, Stranger Things, followed by yet another Netflix original, Luke Cage. So, Jen, hit me with your 16 through 11. Okay, um, my number 16 is Blackish. My number 15 is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Number 14 is You're the Worst. And I'm not just saying that to you. I mean a TV show. Ah, good, my to number know. good to know. <laughs> my number 13 is Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. My number 12 is Master of None. And my number 11 is The Get Down. So obviously I'm a big Netflix fan this year. Yeah, both of us seem to have quite a few Netflix shows in that uh, 16 through 11 slot. But I think the only ones we overlapped on so far was Kimmy Schmidt. So uh, so that's interesting if any of our others will overlap, as I'm sure they will as we move forward. All right, going 10 through 6, we'll do a little bit of a explanation as to why they're there, but not getting too far into these. Because I think we've talked about 
pretty much every show that we're going to mention here on out, almost. Um, but number 10 for me is Supergirl, originally on the CBS network um, in the first part of 2016, then moved to the CW in the fall. I, I've talked about this show. I've written about this show. What I really like about this is is that unlike almost everything else in the uh, DC cinematic television universe, this is a show that embraces bright, sunny happy, funny storylines. It's a superhero show, so there's drama, there's death, there's battles, but it's a, a bright, funny show that is much different and has a very strong message this season, especially with everything going on politically about immigrants, whether they be literal aliens or or any other type of alien. Number nine is a show that, Jen, I know we both like, even though you hate the network that it's on, and that is NBC's The Good Place, um, led by Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. We've talked about before. The entire cast of this show is just utterly delightful, and there is not a person on this show that I wouldn't want to hang out with. It continues to get more complex as as it goes on without losing the inherent silliness and giddiness that makes it so appealing. So I love The Good Place. Another show that, as it continues to move on now in its third season, it gets a little bit deeper and more serious, but it is still one of the funniest shows on TV, and that is Fox's The Last Man on Earth. Um, everything that that cast does, it seems like the weirder it gets, the better it gets, and I'm totally on board with that. This is the critical and awards darling from 2016, and that is FX's American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. We've talked about this a lot. This story is nothing new. We all knew pretty much, especially those of us that lived through it, what happened here. But what makes this such a special series was the performances, whether that was the fantastic Sarah Paulson, Courtney B. Vance, um, all the way down to Cuba and Nathan Lane and everybody in between. Um, it is a fantastic mini-series, limited series, whatever you want to call it, People vs. O.J. Simpson on FX. And now, Jen, here's one that we have not talked about, so I want to get into a little bit more. My number six is a six-part BBC comedy called Fleabag. It was written, and it stars Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and the show started as an award-winning one-woman show at the 2013 Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which, Jen, as you know, is one of the biggest uh, theatrical fringe festivals in the world. It is about a woman who is trying to balance the pressures of dating, family, owning a small business, and just basically living, and she pretty much sucks at all of it. Her character, who I don't think they ever actually mention her name, she's officially referred to as Fleabag, um, but she's just a mess. The setup itself isn't all that original. She's a self-sabotaging anti-hero who breaks the fourth wall and talks directly into the camera while she knowingly makes very bad decisions, often about her sex life. It fits in the, the genre of a lot of these single-cam comedies, but despite the fact that it's rude, it's awkward, and it's pretty much everything that I don't normally like in a show. I loved it. Waller-Bridge is incredibly charming and charismatic, and as the six episodes unfold, each of which is just less than a half an hour, so it's very much a sitcom, you start to see how just painful but beautiful this story and these characters and their relationships are, and it became less and less that single-cam, new-aged comedy cliche that I expected. Jen, I think if you get around to watching this, you will absolutely love it as well. The whole first season is available on Amazon Prime or Amazon Video or whatever, and I'm sure you can pay for it in other places. And although a second season hasn't officially been announced, one is expected. I binge-watched the entire first season in one day, and I could not recommend this one higher. Yeah, a few people have recommended it to me as they said it it corresponds to my life. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to definitely check it out. All right, cool. So what do you have 10 through 6? Uh, I don't think there's going to be anything that's really going to surprise you. I, 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 honestly, we're not overlapping too much um, because, you know, I watch way more comedy than you do. Right. So my number 10 is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, I think this show gets better every year. And kind of what you were saying about Last Man on Earth, where it's like the ensemble, you can tell, has gotten to know each other and their chemistry is just unmistakable now. And the characters have grown. And I think they get stronger as an ensemble every week and um andre brower is inexplicable <laughs> as captain holt and uh, i just i just think it gets better every year and the fall finale 
left with a hell of a cliffhanger. So I'm very anxious for that to come back in March. Um, my number nine is Animal Kingdom, which I spoke of a lot this past summer Ugh. because it's all about shirtless boys committing crimes on the beach. So and their and their vaguely incestuous relationship with their mother. Yeah. Love it. Um, yeah, so season two should be coming back this summer. And I think we had spoken before that usually there's really nothing on in the summer, but this past summer had yeah. a lot to offer, so I was really excited. Speaking of which, uh, my number eight was Mr. Robot season two, which a lot of people complained had more of a slower uptake this year, but I really enjoyed it as they dug into the characters a little bit more and gave them more nuances. And um, I thought it was really creepy and, and really, really well done. And my number seven is the seventh season of The Walking Dead. We had a huge cliffhanger at the end of season six in the spring with who Negan killed. And then this past fall, it was revealed. And, you know, we have this new villain and seven seasons in, it's really strong. You know, people are either with it or they're not. And I don't don't judge people who don't watch it. I mean, if it's not for you, it's not for you. But I love it. I think it's great storytelling and great acting. And number six, Matt and I talk about way too much, but I honestly don't think we talk about it enough, and that's Rectify, which finished its run, you know, this past year, and it was a beautiful series, and I'm sure that that last season's going to be on Netflix soon, and I honestly cannot recommend the entire series high enough. All right, that's that's a good list. Um, Interesting that we really don't uh, have a lot of overlaps. I thought about including Mr. Robot, um... But I, I, I didn't, mainly because I, I, I thought it kind of went off the rails a little bit in the second season, although I enjoyed it tremendously. But um, but yeah, we'll have one or two more that will overlap on here in a second. But um, from here, five through one, we'll go back and forth like we do on List of Paloozas. Number five for me is Gen 1. I know that um, will not be on your list, but I love it so much. It's only had two seasons, and fans are still dying for somehow they're miraculously... To be a third season, I don't hold out too much hope, but it's possible just because of who's behind this show, and that is Marvel's Agent Carter. Um, This follows the character that we first saw in the original Captain America movie. They've had two seasons on ABC starring Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter, one of the founders of S.H.I.E.L.D. It also stars James Darcy as Edwin Jarvis, who is the namesake of Tony Stark's AI machine that kind of helps him build Iron Man. Chad Michael Murray's on it, and it's got a bunch of other stuff. It is just so much fun and and silly and bright and warm. It kind of goes back similarly to what I talked about with Supergirl. So much of superhero shows are things getting destroyed and people dying. And while there are definitely some very serious things that happen on Agent Carter, it's done with a smile, and I enjoy that so much. Haley Atwell has another show on ABC right now called... I don't remember, Conviction or Confliction, I don't know, Conviction, whatever. It's not good. I watch it because I love her and I love some of the other people on it, but it's not a good show. It will most certainly be canceled. So hopefully either ABC brings uh, Agent Carter back for another limited run or maybe Netflix picks it up with their involvement with um, with Marvel. But I, I love Agent Carter, so it is number five on my top shows of 2016. I will go out on a limb and say that none of my top five are even on your list. I would be shocked if that's true, but I will take your word for it. We'll see. Okay. My number five is Schitt's Creek. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I love all things Canadian, but not that one. Um, it is a comedy from the great minds of Eugene Levy and his son, Dan Levy. And I think I spoke about it briefly uh, before yep. in one of my um, things that makes me happy. But it's basically just a comedy about a family who lose everything. They're a very wealthy family and they get SEC rated for fraud and are forced to live in this town that they bought as a joke a few years ago called Shit's Creek, where the mayor, played by Chris Elliott, his name is Roland Shit, and he's a descendant of the founders. It's just silly, typical like Christopher Guest-type humor. And um, Eugene Levy plays the dad, Catherine O'Hara plays the mom, which right there, it's royalty. Dan Levy plays his son. His daughter is also in it. Um, she plays a waitress at the local cafe. It is just silly fun. And it, it's these characters who are somehow despicable but yet endearing. And you start root, really rooting for them um, as they start to realize that maybe their life is better in this small little poor town. I love it every week. It just came back for season three last week. It's on Pop 
network because it is a Canadian show and in America it runs on the pop network. So good luck finding it, but it's worth it. <laughs> Despicable but endearing. That pretty much describes every show that you enjoy, especially Absolutely. comedies. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, fair enough. All right, number four for me is another comic book based show and that is the CW's I Zombie. We've talked about this show before. Another fantastic ensemble. Um, a show that it's not superheroes, but it is based on a uh, on a comic book originally. It stars Rose McIver as the wonderfully named Liv Moore, who, despite being a no nonsense medical student, is talked into going to a party where she is turned into a brain eating zombie, who goes on to work for the King County Medical Examiner's Office uh, in the Pacific Northwest, and she has to eat brains. Uh, to help solve murders. It also features Malcolm Goodwin as her detective partner, uh, Raul Kahili as her boss in the morgue, Robert Buckley as Major Lily White, her ex-fiance and eventual brother in zombiedom. David Anders is another zombie, actually the zombie that turns her, and Ali Machalka of AJ and Ali fame is her best friend and roommate, and she's actually getting bumped up to a uh, series regular role for season three that will debut in April. Jane, we've talked about the show before, but it's just it's it's fun, it's smart, it is created by our beloved Rob Thomas from so many other great shows, including Veronica Mars, uh, as well as Diane Ruggiero Wright. It's smart, it's funny, uh, and then I ho- really hope that after this third season, it gets a fourth because there aren't a lot of shows that do the types of things that iZombie does. Well, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I love iZombie, but it's not on my list. That's all right. Okay, number four for you is... Something that's never going to be on your list, and that is Baskets. You are correct. Um, Just about to start season two with the comedy starring Zach Galifianakis as a professional clown. He studies in Paris and fails miserably and winds up as a rodeo clown in Bakersfield, California. Um, He also plays his twin brother, Dale... (laughs) And his mother is portrayed by the recently Emmy-winning Louis Anderson. Um, It is bizarre and wacko and just delightfully funny. And it is unlike anything you've ever seen on television. So I enjoy every minute of it. I know Matt would hate it if he watched it. So uh, it's my number four. All right. Nothing wrong with that. Number three on my list is one that I just assumed we would overlap on. Perhaps we don't. Maybe I completely read the situation wrong. Number three for me is possibly the best drama on television. That is FX's period show, The Americans. As we've talked about ad nauseum over our time here on Some Like It Pop, it follows a married couple who are actually Russian secret agents living in in and around Washington, D.C. while they're trying to balance the strains of being a spy also with raising children and having a relationship. The story is very much, in my mind, more about their relationship as a couple and then as it progresses about parents than it is about the spy craft. The spy craft is important, but but it's much more about their, their personal relationship. It stars um, two of the best actors on television, and I'm so glad that in the past year they've started to get more attention after the third season, the first two seasons. They were kind of overlooked, but Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese play Elizabeth and Philip, the spies. This, they, their chemistry is so good on screen that they ended up getting together and just had a baby together in real life. So their daughter, Holly Taylor, or that was played by Holly Taylor, she's also turned out to be a fantastic actor. And, and she's become more important in season three and, and presumably season four as well. Noah Emmerich is their next door neighbor FBI agent. You've also got people like Margot Martindale and Frank Langella and Karen Pittman. Um, on the show and Richard Thomas. Um, it's just got a great cast, and, and I love it, and I can't wait for season uh, season four to kick off here shortly. I warned you we're not going to overlap. How is that possible? How can the Americans not be on your top 16? I, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> it, you forgot, basically. No. <laughs> okay. All right, fine. What do you have as number three, Jen? Well, I know you're going to get defensive and awful about this, but my number three is Black Mirror. Yeah. Um, I personally think it is one of the greatest television shows out there today because it is a beautiful commentary on social issues. Um, They're all one-off episodes, kind of like a modern-day Twilight Zone. 
and they each tackle different themes and <laughs> give me nightmares and make me think and make me happy and make me sad. And I love every single episode. If I could recommend absolutely one that is a must-see, and that would be White Bear, which is season two, episode two, I believe. And it gave me nightmares. Still can't stop thinking about it. But I love it, and um, I don't care if you don't. Now, let's... let's um... Let's make this clear. The first two seasons were British, and then they were brought over to the U.S. on Netflix. And then Netflix did came in and did the third season. Um, in addition to like a, didn't they do a Christmas episode um, in 2015 as well? Netflix didn't, but the BBC did. Oh, the BBC did. That, okay, but but Netflix the John Hamm one. Yeah. So, but Netflix did season three. Correct. Yeah. So the first two plus Christmas were all British based. This one is is American. And this is a show, Jen, that on paper, I should absolutely love it. It is very psychological. It's very character driven. It gets great guest stars, has great writers. But for some reason, it just never clicks with me. I watched the entire first season, the first episode of season two, and then the first episode of season three. And it's just meh about it and it shocks me because i should love it i watched the um the bryce dallas howard episode of season three and i just it left me cold and and i know part of leaving you cold is what the show goes for because it very much focuses on technology's um emergence as an increasingly important part of our lives and it kind of strips away humanity so that coldness is, I think, part of the intended effect, but it never gets any deeper for me. And, and I, that disappoints me because I want to love this show. And I'm going to be saying that about some movies here coming up. I want to love Black Mirror, and I just don't. So I'm glad that it works for you, and I, and I really wish it worked for me. Well, first, thanks for making my pick about you. But I <laughs> disagree with you because I, I – there's not one thing about this where I'd be like, oh, Matt would love this. It's everything you hate. I knew you wouldn't like it. Really? Uh, well, first off, let's be clear. You made this pick about me first because you said, I know you're going to give me shit about it. So you started it. Um, but I love that it's a character thing. And those are the things that I'm usually attracted to is our, our character shows and things that have something I love. Not necessarily supernatural, but thriller type things. Um, I thought I'd like it. Maybe you didn't, but I thought I would like it. So I'm disappointed, but oh, well, I'm glad you like it. So, all right. So number two on my list, this is where I knew we would get additional overlap because you've already mentioned it. So, um, number two on my list is the aforementioned rectify. Um, we've talked about it a lot. It wrapped up its final season on Sundance TV, um, over the summer in the fall. Um, it's beautiful. It's brilliant. It's, um, Stark. It's different than anything else you have or probably will see on TV for a long time. Fantastic performances. Um, it's just unlike anything else. We I won't go into too much detail because we've talked about it ad nauseum in the past. But Rectify was my second favorite TV show of 2016. Well, I'm not going to argue with you there. Nope. So, Jen, what did you have as number two? Number two, I have Netflix's sleeper hit, Stranger Things. Mm. Um... I don't think I've made a secret that I fell in love with this over the summer, as did the rest of the world. And just the genre, my new favorite genre, kids on bikes in the 80s. And, um, I mean, I don't really have a lot to say, but, I mean, everybody's seen it. Everybody's either loved it or, you know, decided not to like it because everybody loved it. But it's really, really sweet. And um, these kids are everywhere now, which concerns me a little like I don't I think they're overexposed and I'm nervous for them but I I I highly recommend it it's just pure fun and it's just a throwback to all those good times of the 80s and a, a real love letter to those movies back then So Jen you thought that your top 5 none of them would be anywhere on my list right Pretty much Okay just just point of fact if everyone wants to rewind Stranger Things was number 12 on my list that I've already mentioned so uh thanks for paying attention I was totally not paying attention to you. <laughs> Mostly because you said back when you watched Stranger Things that you thought it was fine, but you didn't get the hype. Well, yeah. Well, and that was more about the hype than the show because the hype was like, this is the second coming of Citizen Kane. Um, I did enjoy it. I liked it a lot. Um, but it was just, it was almost like the Bible of, of TV, like the thing that was going to change the world. But no, I enjoyed it. Um, it was, it was, it was good. So. 
it was on my list. All right, number one. I'm disappointed that number my number one is not on your list because um, I love it so much, and I know you enjoy it. So I, I'm, I'm, I know you. It doesn't mean that you hate this show, but number one, um, Jen. One thing that you often talk about is whether or not a concept for a show warrants an entire TV series, or whether it would be better as a movie. I think going into the first season of my favorite show of 2016, that was a concern that I I had, and I think maybe you had as well. The concept is ridiculous, and it's even more bizarre to see on a TV network, even the CW. But as the show has progressed, it's turned into one of the most heartwarmingly beautiful and charming uh, things you can watch on a weekly basis of of TV, and that is Jane the Virgin. Um, It is absolutely my favorite show. I look forward to watching this show uh, more than anything else. Uh, and sometimes that means I have to put it off because I watch a lot of TV while I'm working, and this is a show that I never want to watch while I'm working. And that's true with the number two and number three on my list, too, Rectifying the Americans. I feel like I want to give everything I can to this show, so sometimes I end up having to binge just because it's so... I, I want to give everything I have to it. But Gina Rodriguez is a star um, as Jane. Um, the entire cast is fantastic. We've both gushed about Jaime Camille, um, who plays Rogelio de la Vega, her father, um, and whether it's her mother, her her, her abuela, um, her husband Michael, her baby daddy Raphael, Yael Grobglass, who I've uh, interviewed as Petra, um, everybody on the show is great, and I love the, the recurring cast and the guest stars that they have, and every week, no matter what it is, um, it leaves me feeling better about the world looking at things the way that Jane does. Now they've had some missteps that I think you that have bothered you a little bit more than they bothered me, but I think it's important to keep in mind that this is at its core a telenovela where things change quickly, where um, character traits are developed and forgotten in the blink of an eye. So I think a lot of those things can be explained by looking at it as a soap opera telenovela, but at its heart, this is such a lovely show that uh, it's my favorite thing I, I watched on TV in 2016. I'm really, really happy. It makes you happy. <laughs> I know you enjoy it, but is there a reason that you didn't have it on your list? Was there something that stood out to you as to why it wasn't maybe as good as it had been in years past for you? No, it's just, I mean, it's the same It's the same concept every week. I mean, there's there's never... I stand by that I don't know if it needed to be a series. I think it would have been a great movie. Um, the characters are lovely and the actors are lovely and that's why I tune in. But it's basically the same story every week. And Jaime, what's his last name? Escalante? No, Camille. Jaime Camille. Camille. He makes the show for me because he's just a cartoon and I just enjoy him. And he's adorable. But yeah. as far as um, my top favorite shows, it's no, it's not on my list. That Jaime and the Latin Lover narrator are reasons to tune in just on their Agreed. own. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Um, cool. I'm sure you can guess mine. <laughs> mine uh, no idea. Go ahead and tell us. Well, when I say it, you're going to be like, oh, well, no shit. No, no. I, I think uh, I um, My number one show is Veep. Yeah. Um, it's it's just the, it's the best comedy. Um, I would put it in the top five of all time. Um, this year it had a new showrunner takeover. So the creator of it, Armando Iannucci, I believe his name is, uh, stepped down, and it's always been known for its smart and witty banter, and of course the incomparable JLD, who we adore. But this showrunner coming in, David Mandel, from Seinfeld fame and everything, you know, he had a big weight to carry to try and keep it going, and it was the best season yet. (laughs) And, you know, Julia Louis-Dreyfus has commented more than a few times that it's getting hard at this point to parody politics because (laughs) the reality of it is insane. So for them to step up and I I know you don't watch the show, but in this season, you know, last year they ended on a tie with the presidential election and they had to go to Congress to figure out if she was going to be the president. And the whole season was them trying to figure out how the electoral college works. Like, Hi, art imitating life. <laughs> and like every single episode, someone's like, wait a minute. So what did they do again? And it was just perfect timing for the political climate. The performances are 
you know, out of this world. I mean, she, I, I don't, I can't think of someone better than her as, as a female comedy actress. And, um, she's won an Emmy for every comedy she's ever been in. Did you know that? She's uh, yeah, crazy. Said, yeah. She's crazy good. And, um, yeah, it's my favorite. The ensemble is ridiculous. Every single person is important. Every single person has a distinct character. And you can't see any of those characters being expendable. They're all vital to that show. And I just think it's perfect. I, you're right. I, I don't watch it, but it's hard to argue with anything Ju- Julia Louis-Dreyfus does. Um, so good. I, that's, this whole process has been super interesting to me. The fact that we've really only overlapped on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Stranger Things and Rectify. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty incredible. I. Uh, it's a lot more divergent than I expected. Yeah, and it and it also goes to to show there's so much good stuff out there that I could have made a list of fifty mm-hmm. and been happy with it because there's so much good content now. Yeah. Speaking of that, there are things that I want to mention. I know there's some that that you want to mention. I'm going to run through them here real quick. These are not necessarily like 17 through 20. These are just things that we think. Either we haven't talked about as much or don't get talked about as much other places that we wanted to mention. The first for me is a show called Winona Earp. I've mentioned it once before. It's a Canadian-based show. Um, that's where it's filmed. It airs on some network in Canada, but in the U.S. it's on Sci-Fi. It is based on a comic book, but um, I never read the comic book. But it's just a fun show. Um, it Basically, the lead character, Winona Earp, is the great-great-granddaughter of famed um, Wild West Sheriff Wyatt Earp, but what we didn't know is that Wyatt Earp also was a z- zombie supernatural hunter, and his great-great-granddaughter Winona has inherited that, and she has to kind of protect her family from all of these revenants, as they're called. It's got a great cast, a lot of fun, really cool dialogue, um, a really good look. I really enjoy it. My other one is How to Get Away with Murder. This show is completely frivolous and absolutely ridiculous, but I can't stop watching every week. Same could be said for Scandal, but I think How I Met or uh, How to Get <laughs> How I Met Your Murder, um, How How to Get Away with Murder was stronger in 2016 than Scandal was. And the last two are shows that probably, to be honest, if I had finished their entire runs, probably would have been on my list. But I've only gotten about halfway through of each, so I just threw them in honorable mention. The first is Netflix's The Crown. Um, I'm, I think I'm four episodes in. It's a if you haven't heard about it, it's won a bunch of awards, got a bunch of nominations, won some Golden Globes. It is about the early days of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II in the United Kingdom. Claire Foy plays Queen Elizabeth. Former Doctor Who Matt Smith plays her husband, Prince Philip. Um, it's it's just really smart and, and endearing. John Lithgow plays Winston Churchill. It's a really good show. I'm only four episodes in, but I wanted to mention that one. And the last one is The Exorcist. I mentioned it once before. I'm only a couple episodes in. Um, they only ran ten episodes in the first season, and we don't know if a season two is going to come. But it's so much different than I expected. I don't tend to love horror-type things, but this is a smart um, inventive character show uh, led by Gina Davis, and it's um, it's really good. So those are my honorable mentions. Jen, do you got anything to throw in? I, I was going to mention The Good Place and The Americans, but you got so persnickety about it, I found two others. Okay, go ahead. Um, I, I do want to mention Better Call Saul, you know, the prequel to Breaking Bad. That'll be coming back soon, and they have recently announced the return of Gus Fring, which has, you know, been rumored in a lot of savvy fans figured that out last season from the clues we were given and that's another show that just gets better every season i think bob odenkirk has emerged at this as this amazing like dark comedic slash dramatic actor which who freaking saw that coming and michael mckeon as his brother is just this tragic figure that uh is just beautiful poetically portrayed i also want to mention um piggybacking on your aversion to horror i also got into the show outcast which i know you didn't like as much but the season finale kind of blew my mind and kept me really interested. And I think it's uh, an underrated show on Cinemax based mm-hmm. on the graphic novel by Robert Kirkman. And um, I'm looking forward to season two of that because I really don't know how they're going to resolve that finale. Uh, I also want to mention a show I know you'll never watch, but I think it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And that's um, Lifetime's Unreal, which is a dramatic behind the scenes version of The Bachelor and all of the scheming and despicable people that 
are behind the scenes to put together that TV show that's also disgusting. But it's really, really enjoyable. Someone told me about it, and um, I watched the pilot and then wound up watching all 10 episodes in one sitting. So season three of that will be coming back this summer. God, this summer's busy. And then lastly, I just discovered a comedy that I know you would hate because it's all about uncomfortableness, yeah. and it's called Man vs. Woman. And it's on FXX, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. It stars Jay Baruchel and Eric Andre, and it's really just a surreal version of dating in um, modern times with apps and online dating and just meeting, trying to meet people. And it's, you know, in, infused with some dream sequences, and it's just a bizarre comedy. And I watched one episode one night and was laughing really hard, and I got really into that. So those are my honorable mentions. All right. I like that. Good. So if you haven't watched these shows or maybe something piques your interest, check them out. Um, the great thing about TV nowadays is that you don't have to start at the beginning. You have the ability with Netflix and Hulu and all these other services, Amazon, to catch up and, and jump in midstream. Um, there's a lot of great TV going on, as, as a lot of people talk about, a lot of critics and writers talk about. It is peak TV. So check that out. All right, moving over to movies, Jen. Um, we both have been seeing a lot of movies lately. You've been binging. I've been binging. I think um, since Christmas, I've seen um, 25 movies, uh, almost specifically just to do this list, but also because with less work going on, I was able to kind of spend some time doing that. We don't talk about movies as much, so I really have no idea if we're going to overlap, I'm sure we will a little bit, but I don't have any idea what's going to be at the top of your list. So this is kind of exciting. Um, so since I let off on the, the TV shows, Jen, why don't you start off with your numbers 16 through 11 for us? Okay. Um, my favorite movies of the year, along with my taste on everything, is all over the map. So like Matt said at the beginning, this is our favorites, not necessarily the best, but the ones that made us the happiest okay (laughs) which a great segue for my number 16 which was sausage party um number 15 don't think twice number 14 ghostbusters number 13 fantastic beasts and where to find them number 12 captain america civil war and number 11 everybody wants some okay all over the map yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have Don't Think Twice on my list, but I did see it and I did enjoy it. Some of those other ones that you mentioned will appear, um, some sooner than others. Number 16 for me is the movie The Nice Guys. Number 15 is Lion. Uh, number 14 is, as you mentioned, Sausage Party. Number 13 is an animated movie, another animated movie, but very different than Sausage Party, called Kubo and the Two Strings. Great movie. I just watched that last night. If you haven't seen it, see it. Number 12 for me is Hidden Figures. And number 11, my third animated movie? That's kind of weird. Moana. Uh, So, okay, Jen, why don't you go 10 through 6 and tell us a little bit more about them. I would also like to state that there are a few that I haven't seen yet that I feel would be incorporated if I had seen them. And those are Lion, Loving, The Edge of Seventeen, Moana, Nocturnal Animals, and Hunt for the Wilder People. All of which I'm dying to see and I have a feeling I would love. Yeah, that's those. I have a list as well. There's another one that I'm going to throw in that I think you and I will both like called Patterson that stars Adam yeah, Driver yeah. Um, that mm-hmm. I really want to see that. 20th Century Women is supposed to be really great too with Annette Benning and Elle Fanning and Greta Gerwig um, and Hacksaw Ridge with a- uh, Andrew Garfield, which um, came out in November that I haven't seen is another one I want to throw on the list as well. And Captain Fantastic with Viggo Mortensen is supposed to be good too. Okay, so let me start with my number 10. And do you want to go a little bit more into detail on this? Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. All right, so number 10 is a documentary called 13th. Attaching the word favorite to it is a little hard because it's very, very tough to watch. It's directed by Ava DuVernay, and it has a lot of Oscar buzz. But it's really about the current state of the prison system in the U.S. And I don't want to really say too much about it. It's just something I wish everyone would see. And uh, don't make any plans for the rest of the day after you watch it. Just, you know, spend some time, you know, by yourself. Uh, You'll need it. Number nine, (laughs) completely in the other direction, is Keanu. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I've been looking forward to this. And I saw it and I love it. And Key and Peele and trying to get their cat back from gangsters. And it was just this stupid, lighthearted movie that I wanted it to be. So I was very happy with that. 
Number eight, I just saw yesterday and fell madly in love with it, which was Moonlight. And that was one of those movies where I knew nothing about it, had no idea where it was going, and was just mesmerized by not only the cinematography and the shots, but pretty unknown cast who just delivered. And um, I was just really impressed with the movie as a whole. Again, other direction, number seven was Deadpool. I, you know, I'm kind of over the superhero movie thing, even though I have two on my list. But I really enjoyed the direction that they took with this. And I thought Ryan Reynolds was fantastic. And I think I don't think I'm alone in the fact that I love Deadpool. And number six, I just saw yesterday, too. And that was La La Land, which I fell madly in love with. And I don't understand how someone couldn't love it. But that's just me. You? Um, First off, I I saw Moonlight as well. You saw it like literally at a screening five minutes after I did on the opposite side of the country. I did not feel the same way that that you did. I enjoyed the cinematography and stuff. But one thing I want to talk about is some of the people in that have popped up in multiple things that I've loved this year. And one of them is uh, Marashala Ali, who we've actually talked about before. He plays Remy on House of Cards, but also played one of the bad guys on Luke Cage, which I talked about on TVs. And then Janelle Monae, playing Teresa in that and then I also mentioned Hidden Figures I didn't realize I knew she did some acting but she is a star as far as I'm concerned so I'm excited to see more of Janelle Monae uh, moving forward but anyway okay she was, she was great and I also think that um, how do you say his name Mahershala Mahershala Ali yeah he's having a real moment now and I'm sure in his head he's yeah. like it's about time I've been acting for how many long <laughs> but he's having a good year and I hope that he gets recognized for it Number 10 for me, Jen, I don't know if you've seen this. I, I think you, we might have talked about it briefly, but number 10 for me is a movie called Morris from America. Have you heard of this one? You told me about it, but I haven't seen it. Okay. All right. It stars um, a young man named Marquise Christmas. Um, named He plays Morris. He is the son of Craig, Craig Robinson in the movie. Um, he's a 13-year-old American boy, and him and his uh, his dad, played by Craig Robinson, moved to Germany, where Craig Robinson is a, a professional soccer coach. Um, his mother has died, so they moved there, and it's this black boy living in Germany and trying to deal with it. He also is an aspiring rapper. It's, uh, it's just such a, a sweet and endearing movie. It's different than anything else. It's a movie that was distributed by A24, and a lot, uh, ironically or not, a lot of the movies that appear on my list, and Jen, I think probably a number that are on your list as well, are distributed by A24, and I don't love everything that A24 does. Um, I've seen some movies this year that I didn't like. Moonlight was distributed by A24, but I know anytime I see a movie that they do, it is going to be thought-provoking and different. So that's one that I think is fantastic, is Morris in America. Coming up at number nine is La La Land. I enjoyed it for a lot of reasons, and I was disappointed by it for a lot of reasons. I think that, as I mentioned previously, the opening number and that closing, more or less closing segment are fantastic. What is in between them are completely different, and that bothered me a little bit, but I thought the performances were very strong. I, I love... Emma Stone, and I, I thought it was really great. From her perspective, I think Ryan Gosling was good as well, but as a whole, I didn't fall in love with it like I had hoped, mainly because it's a movie musical, and I really wanted to love it, and I just liked it. Um, number eight for me is Yoga Hosers from Kevin Smith. This is one where it just got absolutely lambasted by the critics, but I watched this movie with a smile on my face throughout. I don't know how you could watch this movie and not enjoy yourself. It is about two absolutely idiotic teenage girls who work at a convenience store who are attacked by Nazi sausages. It is amazing. I love this movie. Um, number seven is a movie that um, I believe only really came out on Netflix, and it is by. Um, uh, it was written by Mark Duplass. And it co-stars him and Sarah Paulson. It is called Blue Jay. It is effectively a two-person movie. There's another character who's in one scene. Um, but they are both, they are former high school sweethearts who have, for different reasons, returned home um, to their hometown. Um, one temporarily, one perhaps permanently. And and they kind of reconnect over the course of one night. And it's it's beautiful and it's sweet and it's heartbreaking. 
Um, and and I love that movie. Uh, it's Blue Jay number seven. And number six is another A24 movie that is another concept that is absolutely ridiculous, but I found it incredibly entertaining, and that is Swiss Army Man. I've talked about it before. Um, basically, Daniel Radcliffe is a dead body who can fart and do things and and Paul Dano is his co-star and teaches him how to do things and uses him to survive being shipwrecked or something in a, in the woods and it's absurd and it's ridiculous and I found it very entertaining. Okay. All right, gents, let's go back and forth 5 through 1. What did you have as number 5? I feel like we're going to definitely overlap on this one. Um my number 5 is Arrival and Matt begged me to go see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I um, thought you would enjoy it. And uh, we so rarely get uh, recommendations right because we're, we have such different taste. And so when he said, oh, you have to go see this movie, you'll love it. I'm like, all right, whatever, buddy. But he was right. And he's very, very rarely right. And it is a beautiful, beautiful movie. Amy Adams kind of blew my mind. I just I've never been a huge fan of hers. I liked her. But I just was so impressed with the way she portrayed fear. <laughs> I've just never seen anyone be able to kind of portray without words the genuine mashup of fear and curiosity. And um, it was just a beautiful story. And like Matt had said, like after politics of 2016, it really was a message of hope and a, a very strong message of communicating with things you don't understand. And it just hit all the right notes for me. And I thought that it was just a beautiful, just so beautifully done. I have no comment on this. All right. So we'll see that in a few minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Number five for me is a movie that I, I vaguely remember being released. Um, but it it was released back in March of 2016, but I caught it on Netflix, I believe, or maybe Amazon. I don't remember. And it is a movie called eye in the sky. It's a British thriller starring Helen Mirren, Aaron Paul, Alan Rickman, and others. It's one of the last two films that Alan Rickman did before he died, but it basically follows the political, the military, the social, the emotional, and the personal impacts of one single drone strike. And it takes you from the very beginning to the very end. And it's tight. It's fraught. Um, and it, it's really smart. It does not, you know, a lot of times these things very much come with a message. And they try to push their own perspective. But this was very... Well balanced, I thought. I mean, it, it, you know, it probably could have been a little more, but it, um, but it gave you a very good perspectives on both sides, and and I really enjoyed it. And I didn't expect to. I kind of thought it would just be, eh, whatever. It's something to watch with a good cast, but it was really kind of edge of your seat for so many different reasons. Not only because you wanted to see what happened with the drone strike, but you wanted to see the interpersonal play and the chess that that had to be coordinated to figure out exactly. Um, what was going to happen. So if you enjoy kind of these military thrillers with a, a social perspective, definitely check out Eye in the Sky. Nope, never even heard of it. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I don't vaguely remember it, but um, when I saw Helen Mirren, Aaron Paul, Alan Rickman, I was like, oh, okay, this probably doesn't suck, because very rarely do those three people do things that suck. So I figured it was worth a chance uh, to check it out, so... All right, so what do you have for number four, Jen? Uh, For number four, I have a small independent movie, and it didn't get a lot of um, marketing or promotion, and it's called Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Um, (laughs) You should really check it out if you can find it. It's it's pretty impressive, and I I hope that it gets a wider release. Um, Obviously, this is a prequel to Star Wars A New Hope, and it is kind of like a what are they called? What are they calling these? The um, standalone movies, or mm-hmm. and yes. this is the story of the team that had to get the plans for the Death Star to, you know, the Force. What are they called? I'm terrible at this. The Rebellion, the Jedi. Yes, the Rebellion. Thank you, the Rebellion. They had to get the plans to the Rebellion as to how to destroy the Death Star. So these were like the you know the guys behind the guys, and they decided to tell this story. Um, a fantastic, I, I was just really impressed. Like I just went in not thinking really anything of it, but the cast 
first of all, it's the most diverse cast we've ever seen <laughs> in a Star Wars movie. So kudos to that. Um, our buddy Riz Ahmed, who's suddenly everywhere, and I love it. And Diego Luna, who's been floating around for so many years. And um, Forrest Whitaker and Felicity Jones and everybody's popping up. And I loved the Asian guys. I apologize for not knowing their names, but I really, really loved their characters and their relationship. And it's just, it's a great standalone movie. I mean, it's a very definitive ending <laughs> for this story. And, um, you know, as of recently, the, the ending became a little bit more sentimental without spoilers. And um, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. And uh, it was very just gratifying. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it as well. Um, I am by no means a Star Wars aficionado. Apparently some of the bigger Star Wars geeks have some problems with the continuity of this one, but that bothers me not at all. But yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Another, A couple other people that you didn't mention to add to this fantastic cast are Ben Mendelsohn, who I completely forgot was one of the main bad guys until I saw the credits, um, and, and Mads Mikkelsen, who played Hannibal, um, who is played the uh, the main character's father? It's it was adorable. I have nothing bad to say about this movie, so I'm glad you enjoyed it so much. Number four on my list is one that I know you love because you mentioned it a few minutes ago, and that's Deadpool. I think it is one of the best superhero movies ever made. I'll just go ahead and say that. I mean, obviously, I like. Um, superhero and comic book stuffs more than you do, Jen, but Ryan Reynolds was, I mean, perfect for this role. It was so good, so funny, and I also want to mention T.J. Miller, who played his best friend, who owned the bar where the mercenaries went. He is hilarious, and I love seeing him in things. The fact that Leslie Uggams played uh, Deadpool's roommate, uh, it just, I love this. This is the only movie that I saw twice in the theaters this year. I went went to the press screening by myself, and then I went with my brother because I knew he'd enjoy it. So I love Deadpool, and I'm excited that they're going to do a second one uh, in the next year or so. But uh, Deadpool, my number four. So, Jen, what do you have as number three? My number three is, I'm not really in the mood for an argument, but just accept that I love it, is The Lobster. And uh, it was an insane movie that came out earlier this year with, I just... There are no words. It is unlike anything I've ever seen. But it was a really good social commentary on um, society's views of relationships and whether you should be in one or whether you shouldn't and the stigmas that come attached to those. And uh, it made me fall in love with Colin Farrell. And then I re-fell in love with him in Fantastic Beasts. I don't know when he became such a wonderful actor, but he is. And um, it's not for everybody. <laughs> That's pretty clear. And go into it with an open mind, and you'll either love it or you'll hate it. Yeah, Lobster is another one of those A24 movies, like I mentioned earlier. Um, whether you love them or not, they definitely have a perspective and do things differently. I went into it thinking that just by the, the boilerplate, without knowing a lot about it, I thought I'd enjoy it. It kind of fits with my love for Swiss Army Man, and I loved the movie Her a few years ago. And to be honest with you, I completely forgot that that was not Joaquin Phoenix and that it actually was Colin Farrell until about like a third of the way through the movie because I just thought it was Joaquin Phoenix because he looks so much like him. But um, I wanted to like it. I didn't. It left me cold as well, which was probably part of the the, the point. But didn't love it, um, but I'm glad you did. Uh, number three for me was one that probably won't be a surprise. It is a movie that... Um, has been gestating for well over a decade. Um, it comes from a Broadway play, and the film adaptation stars many of the people who starred in the most recent Broadway revival, including two of its Tony-winning stars, two people that um, are newcomers to the big screen, Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. Both of them won Tonys for their performances. Denzel Washington actually directed the film. One of the reasons that this has been kicking around for so long is because the original playwright, August Wilson, who also is credited with the screenplay, said that whoever made this film, it must be done by an African-American director. And Denzel Washington recently has picked up the mantle and saying not only was he going to direct Fences for the big screen, he was also going to produce, produce and direct screen adaptations of all ten plays in August Wilson's uh, American Century Cycle. His next one will be Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for HBO. He will direct them. He won't appear in all of them. 
But uh, one of the things that I think this movie does is shows that Denzel Washington is not only a fantastic actor, he's a fantastic director. Um, it also shows that August Wilson is was, he's now deceased, one of the best writers of dialogue ever to grace the American theater or cinema. But also it certifies that Viola Davis is far much more than just, for a lot of people who just know her from How to Get Away from Murder, she is one of the best actresses in the world and she was heartbreaking and fantastic and i absolutely loved fences and i'm so 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 glad that it is getting as much award attention as it is and if you haven't seen it and you are a lover of either cinema or theater definitely check out fences Hmm. jen what what do you have as number two i uh (laughs) i fell asleep in fences three times just fyi Oh my god! Oh. Really, really bored. Um, for my number two, I have Hidden Figures. I watched it um, last night, and I'm honestly, it made me angry that this is the first time we're hearing this story. Um, it was so beautifully done, and I got to give it up for Taraji because you know sometimes I forget just how good she is because I get sucked into this. You know, her portrayal of Cookie on Empire, which is good and funny, but she's also such a good actress. Yeah. Like, she really carried that film. And um, and also Octavia Spencer and, like, the aforementioned Janelle Monae, who is all of a sudden this movie star. And she's incredible. Mm-hmm. And I was just really impressed. I mean... There's not a spoiler. You know you know the true story, but you know John Glenn's going to be okay. But boy, do they really <laughs> capture the anxiety before you know that he's okay. And um, I, I was really blown away by this movie. I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I did. I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, I, you know, I think that when you go in and see it, there is nothing groundbreaking in terms of the movie making here. It's a fairly traditional historical movie but the performances turn it into something so much more if you go and see this movie i you got to bring kleenex because you'll cry multiple times i did it was so good and you're right taraji p hansen i first saw in the first few seasons of the cbs show person of interest and she was eventually killed off on that show but she is she's more than just this flamboyant outrageous cookie character she is a fantastic actress as well and, um, you know, I, I, I loved it. It was on my list, uh, you know, at number 12. So I can't argue with anything there. Number two for me is a movie that, Jen, when I told you back, I mean, heck, going on nine months now that I really like this movie, you told me there was no way in hell you'd see it. So I know it's not on your list. And that is a movie called 10 Cloverfield Lane. It is a semi-sequel um, to J.J. Abrams' found footage movie Cloverfield. Um, from back in 2008, that was a moderate hit, I guess. But this movie originally started as its own independent movie, and when it was pitched to Bad Robot, they said, hey, this might, if we throw in some connections here, it could serve well as part of the Cloverfield series. Ironically enough, one of the screenwriters was Damien Chazelle, who wrote La La Land, which I didn't know that until here recently. But it basically follows um, a woman who's in a car accident, and she wakes up in an underground bunker and she is told by the person who brought her into the bunker that there has been an alien attack above and it's the end of the world and she's got to stay down there. The people in the bunker are the woman, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Howard, who created the bunker and brought her down there, played by John Goodman, and another person in the bunker, played by Tony nominee John Gallagher Jr. It's basically those three. There's a couple other people throughout, but it is just this taut, suspenseful, twist-and-turn thriller, and if John Goodman doesn't get an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor, I'll be greatly disappointed. Um, But it's a great movie, and it made me excited to see what they do in future movies. They've got another one in development, another um, Cloverfield series that, again, will just kind of be loosely related. But I really, really loved 10 Cloverfield Lane. So, Jen, I know you didn't see it and probably have no intention to, but it's, uh, it's really, really good. So if anybody out there is interested, check it out. 
That is correct. Yep. All right. Okay, Jen, what do you have as number one? <laughs> well, it's already been on your list. In fact, I told you to watch it, um, but it is undoubtedly my favorite movie of the year. It was a total surprise, and I've seen it three times, and I will watch it again, and that is The Nice Guys. Yay. <laughs> you, since I didn't, I didn't really t- – it was number 16, so I didn't say anything. Do you want to add anything about it? It is a uh, mystery crime thriller set in this night, like 1977, I want to say. And it stars Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, who inexplicably <laughs> have incredible comedic chemistry together. Like, I, I never could have seen it coming. Ryan Gosling can pretty much do anything, let's face it. But it is just, it's, it's, a, it, it's a crime thriller, you know? So there's a mystery and, you know, there's a quirky little kid and, and it's kind of noir a little bit, but it's also goofy. And I was not expecting to like this movie as much as I did, but... It is my favorite movie of the year, withstanding those I mentioned earlier. And um, I highly recommend it. I believe it's on Netflix now, maybe. But it's great. Yeah, I saw it recently. I got it from Redbox. So I don't know if anybody has read, you know, if it's on any of the other streaming services, but it's definitely available uh, via Redbox. And and also shout out to uh, Margaret Qualley, who is... um, plays Justin Thoreau's daughter on The Leftovers, who had a, a small supporting role uh, in it as well. She's kind of at the center of the of the mystery. But yeah, really fun, um, really surprisingly good movie. So uh, I wouldn't be opposed to them doing a sequel either. I haven't heard anything about that, but the movie kind of ends on something where a sequel could be possible. So I, uh, I definitely would like that. And also a, an, a, an obscure appearance from Kim Basinger. You just don't see her very much anymore. Yeah, and you barely see her in this movie either. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I was like, oh wow, Kim Basinger's in this, and then like she's not really in the rest it's of the bizarre. movie. It's bizarre. So I don't know what that was all about. Yeah, but Hannibal Burris is in it. Um, uh, Matt Bomer is in it. It's just you know got some random people showing up. So uh, definitely really good. Number one, um, I refuse to mention it when you said it was your number five, but uh, my favorite movie of 2016 is Arrival. We talked about it on a previous episode, so I won't belabor it, but there is just so much good quality content in this film that is so much deeper than just a movie about an alien invasion. It's smart. It, It talks about themes of acceptance and communication and understanding and not worrying about every little minute thing in the moment. I'm looking at the big picture of how things impact others. Um, like you said, Amy Adams has kind of been, a mo- I guess, a movie star for a long time now. But for me personally, this goes from being, oh, that redhead who's in that thing to, oh, okay, she's like a legit top shelf A-list actor. And I know that many people will probably listen to that and say, well, duh. But for me, that's I don't see a lot of Amy Adams movies, but she is incredibly good in this movie. And um, I love it. And I, I'm, I'm sure this will be one that I'll add to my collection and hopefully watch multiple times because I think I've only seen it once, but I think it will only get better the more you watch it. So that is my number one. Jen, do you want to hit me with a few honorable mentions as well? Sure. I was going to mention yoga hosers, but I feel like you've covered that um, adequately. And I'm going to mention, again, all over the map. First of all, if you need to cry your eyes out and be depressed for the rest of the day, I would recommend Manchester by the Sea. I didn't really know about it before I went into it, and I never thought it could go as dark as it did. But the performances are worth it. Not only Casey Affleck, who's getting all the award recognition, but especially Michelle Williams, who's in it for like maybe 20 minutes and is just phenomenal. Uh, On the other side of the spectrum, (laughs) pop star, never stop, never stopping. (laughs) It is stupid Lonely Island humor, mocking, basically mocking a Justin Bieber type person. And it's just silliness if you need a good laugh. And then lastly, I would recommend two documentaries that um, really were impressive. One was Wiener, about Anthony Wiener, and just really digging into his sexual depravity and addiction. And it's really an interesting look at his whole life. And again, if you need um, some ammunition to kill yourself, I would watch Gleason, which is a documentary about the um, New Orleans Saints defensive back Steve Gleason, who was diagnosed with ALS right after he found out his wife was pregnant. And it's basically a documentary 
of him trying to record himself as like a functioning human being so that his son, as he grows up, will have like all these, I can't even talk about it. <laughs> it's so, so sad, but um, really well done and, and very necessary to watch just how debilitating this disease can be. And to see someone who is at the top of his game to be completely um, quadriplegic and, and barely being able to function, it's, it's just a jarring yeah, I won't watch that, but I appreciate you doing the heavy lifting and actually watching it for me. Um, a couple of uh, the things that you mentioned are on my things I wanted to mention as well. Keanu, we've talked about it. Just ridiculous. It actually made me really excited for Jordan Peele's new movie called Get Out, which is a horror movie that he he wrote and directed. That basically it has a, kind of this satirical premise that this all-white community wants to get black people out and it's it looks great i can't wait to see that come out in in february uh manchester by the sea is also my honorable mention the movie as itself will make you hate life and everything about it but michelle williams just needs to be thrown into any movie that requires a woman to break your heart because she will do it also my honorable mentions list is everybody wants some i just watched it this morning I have You did? I did. I and I'll be honest with you, I have no idea why I liked this movie because it's I can't believe you liked it. I did. There really is not a whole lot of a story. There's really not much no, to it's, it. It's, it's incredibly misogynistic. Typical Richard Linkletter. Yeah, who I usually don't like. I did not like Boyhood. Um but I'll tell you why I like it. It the actors are so charming like Blake Jenner whose wife is uh, Melissa Benoist, who plays Supergirl. Um, he's really great, um, ironically enough. Uh, Tyler Hoechlin, who plays the best player on the oh. team, he um, he plays Superman on Supergirl, so there's a there's a Supergirl connection there. But then... On Teen Wolf. Oh, he's on Teen Wolf? Okay, well, there you go. Um, he's also the little boy in uh, Road to Perdition. Oh, was he? I never saw that, but okay, good. And then a guy named Glenn Powell, who plays one of the other players on the team, he also played John Glenn in Hidden Figures. He was on that show Scream Queens, which I bailed on after a few episodes. But these guys are all super charismatic and super just fun and interesting. And and, and Dora Madison Berg, who was on Friday Night Lights, was in it as well in a small part at the beginning. Like I said, it's completely misogynistic, and it's all about guys just wanting to get with girls. But having worked in high school, college, and professional sports, I can tell you that it is probably more accurate than we would like to admit. Um, but I enjoyed it. No idea why, but I enjoyed oh, it. Uh, it. It's also um, a perfect glimpse of guys in the early 80s. Like, oh, yeah. As misogynistic as you it you say it is, and it is, that is so, so very 1981 that it, it, Richard Linkletter, if he's good at one thing, it's really good at capturing a time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's very true. And then the last things on my honorable mention list, you mentioned one of them, Captain America and Civil War. I'm just putting them together. Captain America, Civil War, and Doctor Strange, the two most recent additions to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I enjoyed them a lot. Neither one of them broke any new ground, but good performances, kind of fun. And uh, I'll keep watching these probably until they stop making them. But they didn't really change anything like uh, like Deadpool did, but they were enjoyable nonetheless. All right. Okay. All right, that's all we've got. We will return to some more traditional episodes and list of Palooza formats coming up later in January. But thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway World Sound Like a Pop Podcast. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com and you can get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. So make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Sound Like It Pop. Also, do our egos a favor and follow the show on Twitter at SLIP Podcast. Maybe we'll start doing that finally. And go over to iTunes or wherever you get podcasts and rate and review us, please and thank you. We invite you to get in touch with Jen and me and let us know your thoughts on the TV shows and movies that we talked about from 2016. Let us know what your favorites were. We're always interested in hearing that. We will be back at some point later this month to get back to a new episode, maybe talk about some TV shows that debuted in 2017, maybe some other movies that we've seen, um, and and talk about, I guess, eventually we're going to get Academy Award nominations, aren't we, Jen? Yes, they're coming up very shortly. All right, cool. So until next time, we'll see you around the Broadway world. Google Drive. Damn you! So what do you have as number two, Jen? Well, I already did my number two, so we're at my number one. 